Joining us now to talk football is former all-white and uh, Phoenix player and Auckland City player, by more clubs than Tiger Woods type bloke, uh, Jacob Spoonley. G'day, mate. How you doing? Good, boys. How are you? Yeah, good. Thanks, mate. Good. And uh, the Phoenix getting back on the horse just at the right time, mate. I mean, it couldn't have been a better result against MacArthur, could it? Kept a clean sheet, got three points and secured uh, sixth place. They did. They finally secured finals football, Ricardo. They could have done this a long time ago, but their recent run of incredibly poor form has meant that they've left it right up until midnight to sneak into the finals. And I think sneaking is probably the wrong word, Ricardo, but it kind of feels like this team is not entering the finals uh, framework in quite the right state of mind at the moment. Right, the clean sheet was in there, but they looked vulnerable right at the end. And then outside of the goal for Zavada, the team didn't quite seem to click against the bottom of the table side in MacArthur. Hey, Jacob, uh, thanks for joining us this morning. Did it give you any confidence the win against MacArthur uh, MacArthur, that they can go out and beat Adelaide on Friday night? (laughs) Morning, Kirby. It's a very different <laughs> proposition. Uh, so bottom of the table, MacArthur, a side that didn't have early Devia, um, and uh, a team that had basically written off the season, and the only motivation that they had was securing contracts for next year up against a pissed-off Adelaide United side. Adelaide United obviously lost earlier in the weekend against the Mariners. They themselves are hoping to secure a weekend off next week, and now the Wellington Central have to travel to... Hindmarsh Stadium, Cooper Stadium, um, up against not only the best player in the competition in Craig Goodwin, but a team that has demonstrated the ability to rip opponents apart at home. Last time the Phoenix played Adelaide was about five weeks ago. It was the start of that horrible run of form. They lost 5-1 over there. They had no Oscar Zavada at the time, to be fair to them. And I talked to Ufuk Tale last week, and he said that even though uh, they lost 5-1, he said he didn't think the score reflected how the game went. Um, what do you make of those comments, and how close do you think the Phoenix can get? Yeah, look, I've probably been a bit um, negative in terms of the opening of this interview, mate, but um, that's how I'm kind of feeling about the season. I had them pinned as a team that would make it into the top four comfortably, and I feel like the team hasn't quite met those expectations. In terms of Ufi's uh, comments after the Adelaide game, I actually do agree with them. And if you look at the way in which this Phoenix team has matched up against Adelaide over the course of the season, they had a really comprehensive 3-1 win earlier in the season, and then they drew 2-2 to kick off the season when they really should have won. So that 2-2 draw is the start of the pretty depressing pattern where the Phoenix dropped points from winning positions. So although 5-1 was the result last time, I don't think the Phoenix will go to Hindmarsh bearing that sort of result again. I don't think we'll see a repeat. However, I did think that the Phoenix matched up very well against Wanderers, and Wanderers ripped them apart 4-0. <clears throat> um, so they need to be mindful that at the moment they're their own worst enemies. That's what it's going to come down to. If they can get Zavada firing, if they can find them through the likes of Barbarousas, uh, Sass and Ball, um, then they will look good. And if they get um, Bojadar Krayev back to form as well, they will be able to hurt Adelaide, who have at times demonstrated a weak centre. However, the concerning thing for me is how do you keep the likes of Craig Goodwin, um, Ibasuki, Erin Kunda, all quiet over the course of 90 minutes? when this Adelaide team has not only played with confidence this year, but as I said before, 
they are a bit of a wounded animal at the moment, having themselves not met expectations. Jacob, but it's 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 about reset the reset, isn't it? Like you you struggle for the last six weeks, and then you go out, you secure this um, this point uh, against. MacArthur will get you into the semi-finals. Isn't it a reset now and about attitude? And when you're going over that 90 minutes with the likes of uh, Zawada back on the side, it's now semi-final time and, and it's do or die. You put everything on the table and you go out there and win it. Is that how you see it? That's exactly it, MP. I think the Wellington Phoenix, uh, they've gone through a phase. We heard that Ufi Tale during the week got players to confront each other about their poor performances, to hold each other accountable. Now, it feels like if that was successful, they've gone through this phase of reconciliation, and now what they've got the ability to do is look forward to the finals and knowing that each 90 minutes stands alone. They need to go out and perform for 45, turn it into 90, and if they do that and they keep it tight, they will have that motivation to just get across the line with even the barest of margins, and in doing so, knowing that that is a win for them. Jacob, I do wonder that... Uh, with the timing of that bad run of form towards the end of the season, came came around the same time as the club announced that Clayton Lewis, Stephen Yugarkovic, and Oli Sale were leaving, and also around the time that you know it was revealed that uh, Ufuk Tale was looking at other options. I, I've talked to many people in the club, players, coaches, etc. They all say it hasn't been a factor, but I mean, surely that can't be a coincidence. Look, the players, as I understand it, the players um, knew about the potential moves for their colleagues and also that Ufi Tale was uh, thinking about moving on. And fair enough, Ricardo. He's had four seasons at the Wellington Phoenix. He really has got them to punch above their weight. Um, I think that the, the team knew about it a long time before it became public knowledge or there was rumour uh, going around. So I don't, like, you can't say that it affects them once it got out into the public sphere and it wasn't affecting them when they had that wonderful run of, I think it was nine or so results unbeaten. So I struggle with that. I know Paul Eiffel has a very different take, but I genuinely think that um, this comes down to taking the next step. For me, the Wellington Phoenix have at times lacked maturity and a ruthlessness. Um, and for me, that's a mentality issue. I don't think you can necessarily mask it by saying, oh, it's the last dance, they haven't quite, um, uh, so they have been affected by uh, the potential exit at the end of the season. So I think that probably is a contributing factor, but it's been one that's been manageable. All right, mate, the other uh, semi-final this weekend, or the playoff game this weekend, is the Sydney Derby, West Sydney versus Sydney FC. Uh, How many cards do you expect in this one? Because I reckon it's going to be like the World Series of Poker. <laughs> yeah, Western Sydney Wanderers do love playing bully ball, don't they? So they love to get aggressive at the back, led by that USC menace, Marcelo. Uh, loves grappling players and has done so throughout the course of the season, including our own Ollie Sale. This is going to be a game where I think Wanderers, they should probably win, but they're up against a team probably best suited to finals football, if I'm being honest, Ricardo. They've got the experience, they've got the pedigree. Uh, Sydney FC have obviously been a force throughout the, the duration of the competition. And then you combine that with the very fluid attack they've got up front in Mac, um, who's an absolute menace, and Joe Lolly, who's uh, probably just behind Craig Goodwin and Oscar Zavada in terms of the most impactful player of the season. So I think this is going to have fireworks. There'll be goals, but you're right. There'll also be moments where the referee's going to really need to manage the game and will be tested. 
Hey, Jacob, yesterday we saw uh, Satili Tupunui at the Warriors um, stay on for a shoulder charge. Just tell me, how did Diego Joga, um, uh, Jota, who scored the winner on the, uh, in the game for Liverpool this morning, stay on after his head, head kick of uh, Oliver Skip? So a little bit of context for the audience here, Kempe. Um, You would not have got up at 3.30 in the morning. And can you check across the uh, studio to see how many straws Ricardo's grasping at? Because he has absolutely cherry-picked an, an incredibly poor performance from Paul Tierney. Yes, I completely accept that Jota should not have been on the field after that. It was a dead-set red card. I've got no idea why VAR didn't intervene. But ask him how... Hoiberg and Skip also stayed on the field as well because they were horrific. Paul Tierney had a probably the worst game of the season from a refereeing point of view. He missed a lot. There were some poor calls, and he got himself into all sorts of trouble by failing to manage Mason and Klopp, who were pretty poor on the sideline, I've got to say. Yeah, it, it does bring something up, Jacob. You mentioned there because you, you said you know Tierney had bad calls on the field. You can you can accept that from referees from time to time, but when you've got VAR yeah. in your back pocket as a backup and a guy who can see everything from many angles and slow things down and re-watch stuff, there's no excuse for getting that stuff wrong, is there? I, this, is, this is the thing that I really struggle with, Ricardo, is that I'm a massive advocate for VAR being used in football. It is used in NRL, it is used in rugby, it is used in basketball, it is used in the NFL. So you need to have it in your back pocket because there are now millions of dollars, if not billions of dollars, on the line over the course of 12 months. Um, So I think you need to have accuracy and objectivity. Why we didn't see VAR intervene this morning is beyond me, and it speaks to this lack of maturity with the way in which football uses it. We don't know how it's supposed to be managed. We don't know when the fourth official, the fifth official rather, is supposed to intervene. Why not just give the referee the opportunity to make the call on the field, having seen what he's seen in real time and then had the opportunity to compare that against different camera angles? I don't think the system is working at the moment, and that's really frustrating. Yeah, mate, I 100% agree. Uh, really frustrating. We also saw when uh, Liverpool got the winner, obviously Klopp had had a few run-ins with Tenney, uh during the game, but he ran up to the fourth official, squared up to the fourth official in part of his celebration. Uh, he got yellow carded for that. We, we've seen we've seen where some you know I saw a few people say you know it wasn't that much different to what Mitrovic did. Um, you know I know Klopp pulled his hammy as well, which is going to rub salt into that wound. But uh, what did you make of the way he performed on the sideline? Um, look, I think he's got history with tyranny. And the other point that I have just seen, having looked at it online, is that this is the first time that an official has refereed seven games of a particular team. So um, Tierney, uh, this is like a rivalry between him and Klopp that has been stoked by the regularity of fixtures that he's been put in charge of involving Liverpool. That's not an excuse for behaving the way Klopp behaved on the sideline. And he himself has put his hand up and said, yep, fully deserved the yellow card and was lucky not to get something else. In terms of comparing it to what Mitrovic and Fernandez did during the course of the season, I think... It's something that should have been punished more harshly. Um, is my gut reaction, and Klopp was very lucky not to get a red card. It's nowhere near putting your hands on an official, though, mate. And that's something that Fernandez in particular was very lucky getting away with earlier in the season at Anfield. And I would like to see a lot more punishment dished out when players do get. Um, I think what is it? I'm going to actually. I'm, I'm committing acrobats here, mate. But I think, having said this, I think um, Klopp probably could have looked at the suspension as well because you can't get in the face of officials. You definitely cannot 
lay hands on them. Yeah, especially uh, you're running sort of 10 metres to yell in his face uh, the way he did. Um, but more gymnastics than we uh, used to see on the goal line from you, Jacob, to be fair. Um, but before, <laughs> before I let it was you... a real-time real time evolution of an answer there, Ricardo. <laughs> hey, before I let you go, though, mate, um, I've got to ask uh, Manchester City. Uh, Mark Ogden, who's a Manchester United fan and has written a lot of Manchester United stuff, uh, did a story on ESPN the other week and said that United are the only thing standing between City and a treble. Uh, for me, it, there's, there's a small matter of two games against a team called Real Madrid who have a bit of European pedigree that might get in the way as well. Um, who do you think is more likely to stop the treble? I think it's going to be Real Madrid, mate. Um, they're the team that is so well designed to take on opponents and to win the Champions League. And we've, we saw it over the last couple of seasons. They are a machine in that competition. Also, Ricardo, part two, United fans need to pipe down. Liverpool have had a poor season. Spurs have had a poor season. Chelsea have <laughs> fucking fallen off. Sorry, Chelsea have fallen off a cliff. Um, so uh, I think United fans are starting to chirp a little bit. Third place or second place, wherever they're going to finish, um, I don't think that's necessarily enough for them to start getting involved in a conversation. They're probably still, still one or two years away. Yeah, all right. Good stuff, Jacob. Thanks very much for your time, brother. Go well. Have a great Love Monday. It. Cheers, guys. Have a good week. Ciao. Cheers. This is Jacob Spoonley there with us. 18 past seven here on SCNZ. This is Breakfast with Ricardo and Kempe. Thanks to the Chemist Warehouse, the real house of fragrance. Fence with Tony Kemp. Well, if you thought the Chiefs' mana weren't the re- real deal, then you better remove those red and black one-eyed patches. We could be looking at a side that goes through this competition unbeaten and takes the Crusaders' long-held mantle. Who knows? They may be the best team to follow for many years to come, Ricardo. The Crusaders clearly had a plan to stop Damien McKenzie, but unfortunately, they forgot that before stopping DMAC, you have to look after the middle of the park. Otherwise, they will simply roll straight over the top of you. Who would have thought that the Munna would do that to the Crusaders? DMAC, though, he did look vulnerable early on. However, with Fozzy sitting in the grandstand, DMAC delivered and all but confirmed that he was ready to lead the All Blacks around the field as the premier number 10 in the country. Actually signed a two-year deal on the back of that as well. He made some big plays that would not have gone unnoticed by the Brains Trust, who had this very number 10 showdown is one to watch. But for me, it was Sean Stevenson again who looked right at home in the pressure cooker. In front of his big home crowd, this was a game that was for the ages and Sean showed that he is ready for the next step. The question is, will Fozzie help Sean Stevenson realise his dream and make that next step or will we just have to wait for Razor and the new regime to come in to unleash this prodig- uh, prodigious talent? Off the back fence with Tony Kemp. Tell you what, Kempy, you bang on there. I mean, I I, I think uh, Sean Stevenson's going to look great in a Dolphins jersey next season. But um, that, that aside, um, it feels like Damien McKenzie's gone past Bowden Barrett. Has he gone past Richie Mwanga as well? Well, I think I think when you're playing those type of games and you get you know an opportunity to show your wares. You, See, Ricardo, it comes down to selection and, and what you're selection, selecting. Are you selecting on form or are you selecting on past performance? And I know that past performance in a black jersey goes a long way to getting you selected in that team. Uh, for me, I think Bowden Barrett will still be there. I feel sorry for Stephen uh, Putafeta. I think that he'll miss that spot. I think Bodie will get that third spot. But 
if it was a fight out at the moment, you've got to say D-Mac's been down down the Crusaders and then at home this weekend he's done Richie Mwonga twice, you know, as, as, a, as a Premier 10. Because the games come down to the 10s, don't they? Yeah, they do. And the other thing that I think was more impressive, because I haven't always been McKenzie's biggest fan, right? Uh, you know, when Peter Feta was coming through and he was in Japan and people were saying, oh, is he going to come back? Uh, New Zealand rugby going to offer him a new deal. I'm like, why? Why? Mm. Well, you know, we've got these other players. Don't need them. Don't need them. Don't need them. Uh, but I think that he's really uh, improved his game. He had this tendency, I think it's probably because he played so much at fullback, but he had a tendency at 10 when he was a bit younger to run himself into little cul-de-sacs and get isolated. And so he'd go down these, he'd, he'd, f- he'd find somewhere to run and then end up getting isolated. Um, he's doing that less and less. And I think the most impressive thing on the weekend was he wasn't always going forward. But he was still managing to um, to get his team out of trouble. He was put under a lot of pressure early on. I think they they did their homework and did their job early on. But what the one thing I did notice, and this has got nothing to do with him playing ten, was his effort. You know, there's one there's one clip down there where he's right on his try line. They make a tackle, they hold it off, it gets um, put out to the winger. The winger steps inside his wing and goes to score. And Damien McKenzie throws his body at him and, and pushes him over the sideline. Um, just on the on the last breath that he had in his body at that time, you know what I mean? So that goes a long way um, when you're watching as a as a selector, as a coach, to say that this guy is actually putting his his team first and, and his effort first, you know, like um, and for and for me, I think that's probably what he's got Richie in at, at the moment. Whether or not he gets that spot in front of Richie, look, I'd have to say probably not. I think they will go with tried and tested. Um, and the other thing about DMAC too is that he can cover both the 10 and the 15, mm. you know, as opposed to Richie being a specialist number 10. So uh, it's going to be interesting when these, those selections come around. If, I, you know, in, in five weeks' time when they go through unbeaten um, and they pick the, the All Black team, you know, the, the other thing about that, like, how good is it having all the All Blacks playing? In that big game, yeah, it was you know? great. It was great. So I, th- I think when people people come and watch games when you're, when all your players are playing, not being rested. Interesting, you said when they go through unbeaten because I was looking at it going, okay, so if they get past the Crusaders, uh, that's one big hurdle. But they've got another big hurdle: Brumbies and Canberra, second to last game of the, yep. of, the of the round robin. Now I've seen the, the Brumbies that turned up against the Hurricanes in Wellington on Friday weren't that impressive. No. So and, I, I'm wondering just how good they are. They just look really good against other Australian teams. Yeah, and, and Canberra is a real hard place to go and play. You know, it's a, right down there, bottom of the Blue Mountains, I think it passed those, and, and it's cold, and, you know, there is a bit of a fortress down there for them. But you got to remember two weeks out from the finals that, that the Chiefs will be trying to pick their form up going into those finals. They don't want to co- come away from that. Um, tri- uh, trip saying that they've lost or lost quite heavily going into a final series. So I'm expecting them to go down there and and, and have that as a focus and and, and probably um, a game which they think that they can harden themselves for the finals in. We're going to be talking more Super Rugby after 8 o'clock with Ian Jones, the Carmo kid. Uh, no doubt he's still grinning from ear to ear after that big performance at the weekend. Coming uh, up this hour, we are still going to be talking to Araha about the Formula One. She's going to give us a weather update from around the country as well. Still have time for your calls and texts on double eight double three and 0800 150 We've got a Choices Flooring Poll coming your way shortly right now, though. Let's get to Araha with news for Kubota. Together, we are shaping and building New Zealand. Uh, over the weekend, the Crusaders went to Hamilton. 
to take on the Chiefs. Looking to overturn the 31-10 loss that they had in the first round. They couldn't get it done. The Chiefs got the W. And a man who uh, won't stop grinning, I'm sure, is Ian Jones. He joins us now. How you doing, Carmo? Yeah, good morning, Ricardo. Yeah, doing very, very well. Thanks, mate. And uh, my body's not as battered as some of those players on Saturday night would be, I'm sure. No, I'm sure, mate. It was a, it was a tough game. Uh, first time a team has done the double over the Crusaders in Super Rugby since 2017. Uh, this Chiefs side at the moment looking very, very good. Hard to see where they slip up. Yeah, but it also shows uh, over history what a wonderful side the Crusaders have been and will continue to be. Um, and that was a real ding-dong battle. But, yep, the Chiefs... Had, well, A, they had the crowd for a start. We often talk, don't we, Ricardo, about home advantage. It is a real thing, in my opinion. Um, and that crowd absolutely deserves the Player of the Day award. They got them across the line. But more so than that, the heart, the resilience of, of the Chiefs, the depth, clearly, of the Chiefs. But um, it was a game, oh, it was a wonderful game in Super Rugby. You know, I'm very, very biased. But when rugby's played at that level, it really is the greatest game in the world. Hey, Carmo, Cam- where did you see the game won when you were watching it? Uh, yeah, good question, Kempi. I just like everything, mate, moments. I think depth, uh, fitness levels uh, in some regards. You know, Crusaders uh, through some early injuries or injuries every game were forced to play some of their guys longer minutes than they probably uh, should do. So even those little, those little things like that, Kempi, had a huge, huge deal. Um so the energy of the bench coming off from the Chiefs probably got there in the end, um, which adds, adds a question about you know, fatigue and sport is a, is a real thing as well. So it wasn't much separating them, to be honest with you, buddy, but I think it was uh, the energy, uh, the bench, and some of those Crusaders players having to play bigger minutes than they normally would. Do you think that Damien McKenzie um, has the wood over Richie Moonga now that he's got both games under his belt? Um, mate, I'm, I've discussed that plenty of times. When Dane McKenzie can pl- go to fullback, and that was, in my opinion, his biggest influence when Bryn Gatlin came on and Dane McKenzie were allowed to run a little bit wider. He had a bigger influence on the game than when he was at 10. You saw the way he started, and Carter and I and Wado and I and Chief Smart have talked about this a lot. Um, at super rugby level, when the Chiefs were getting domination, go forward ball, really quick delivery, of football from Brad Weber, Dane McKenzie was allowed to run laterally and do what he did, and brilliant. Um, fast forward, if he's in the All Black jersey, you think in the current state of play with the big packs around the world, Ireland, France, South Africa, would the All Blacks get that same domination, same speed of delivery, and would he be able to do that at 10? The answer was uh, confirmed for us in the first half when the Chiefs weren't getting that Damien was under all sorts of pressure. Uh, we couldn't get any ball going forward, um, which is why when he goes to fullback, he, he has such a major impact. So I still don't think he's got the wood over uh, Richie Mawanga at 10 uh, at, at international level, but certainly at super rugby level, mate. And they are different things, Kempe. Don't, and it's interesting, we keep hearing the commentators telling us um, this is an all-black, this is test match level. Um, when it's not, uh, it's not at all. Um, so, yeah, no, I, I'm still firmly in my, my belief. 
Uh, he has such an amazing impact when he's when he's wider out and can find those mismatches like he did in the last 20 minutes of the game. There's something you touched on there, Carmo, is that you know you get credit in the bank for what you do in the black jersey, and that overrides whatever happens the next season in Super Rugby. But that said, it does feel like Damien McKenzie's probably ahead of Bowden Barrett now, doesn't it? Yeah, but same argument, mate. You know, I've had this discussion mm. plenty of times, and my humble opinion, I think Bowden Barrett has more influence on the on the impact of a football game when he's wider out as is Dave McKenzie, so uh, you're not going to get an argument there from me. I mean, t- in my opinion, <laughs> at the moment, Richie Mawonga is our, our all-back 10, um, and, and the Bowden Browns to Dave McKenzie in the world are, are, are so dangerous wider out. We saw, we confirmed again um, the impact of bench players. I mean, Bowden Barrett has been the world's best bench player coming off, Um and just because they're not starting doesn't mean they're not going to have a huge impact on the outcome of the game. Um, so, you know, the Dame McKenzie's, the Bowden Barrett's coming on, wider out against towering defence can, can change the outcome of the game, like we saw it change the outcome of the game on Saturday night. Another couple of individuals, Carmo, that put their hands up, uh, Cullum Grace, obviously, back in the uh, Crusaders jersey, and, and Sean Stevenson showed a couple of nice touches there. What do you think of their chances come the end of the year? Well, Sean Stevenson has to be contender, but it's not just this year. Once again, Kempe, this guy has been in great form for the last two to three years. He's building nicely, clearly starting to learn more about being a professional both on and off the field. His combination, if we look at combinations with Dave McKenzie going forward into whatever colour jersey they, they play is, is pretty important. But he's a finisher, isn't he, Kempe? He's very good. Um, and and all, all codes need finishers. Um, the ability to get across the, the trial line and finish opportunities. So, yeah, absolutely. I think Sean Stevenson has to be contended. In terms of Callum Grace, well, we, we also need workers too, don't we? But, Mo, honestly, honestly wouldn't discount Luke Jacobson. I mean, that guy defensively is just rock solid, does so much more work uh, in that Chiefs defensive line than, than people are actually, I think, commentating on or giving him credit for. Uh, allowing Sam Kane to kind of work really hard both sides of the ball. Um, so Luke Jacobson, been in the All Black jersey before, um, good work rate. Um, yeah, I think. I mean, it, we talk about some of the calls going against the Crusaders with their TMO decisions. That rubbish call. Um, uh, was it Herrera, uh, our, our, our winger tackling? Back, uh, Good you high up, penalty, kick into the corner, penalty try, yellow card. They got two tries from when Lake Jacobson in the bin. That could have been a game changer too on a really dodgy bloody referee call. Mm, yeah, it's interesting you say that because we actually already had a, a text through saying about, hey Jaffa boys, plenty of win, whining about the Warriors refereeing, yet nothing about the disgraceful display verging on cheating in the Crusaders game. Come on boys, open both mm. eyes and stop the Crusader hating. But Carmo, you, you, I mean, I, I thought the referee went all, went all right in that game. It certainly didn't all go one way. No, it certainly didn't go in one way. I mean... <laughs> A lot of people are talking about the Scott Barrett disallowed try. Here in, in, in rugby, the rugby league, have you ever seen a player shoulders you know, parallel with the, the try line running forward at speed, touches the ball, and it doesn't go forward? 
the ball has to go forward. Um, it just, you know, it was, it was a, in my opinion, it was a right call to bring back that for a knock-on. Um, but boy, I thought the referee did well because if the game's under pressure. There's always going to be swings and roundabouts. It was a wonderful game of football. Both teams had the opportunity to win it at the end with home advantage and an amazing crowd uh, at, at Rugby Park there in Hamilton. Uh, the home side got across the line. Uh, Carmo, let's talk then about um, the locks because uh, that, that is uh, your particular area of expertise. Brody Retallick, Tupu Vai'i, uh, Scott Barrett, Sam Whitelock were our starting locks in this game. Are those the four locks that the All Blacks will take to the World Cup? Yeah, I'd, I'd, you'd have to think so, wouldn't you? I mean, three of them definitely are there. I mean, that combination of Whitelock and Retallick has served us so well. We know the impact of Scott Barrett can do, and look at his work rate once more in the weekend. A phenomenal athlete, and boy, it's so lucky to have him there. And Tupava, he is doing so much tight. He's playing tighter, in my opinion, this year. You know, he, he was kind of moved around a little bit, wasn't he, between that kind of lock and six position. And when you move around between lock and six, sometimes it shifts with your mentality. Uh, but I think he's playing really tight. The work he's doing at the breakdown, trying to keep up with Brody to kind of contest those rucks have been a great combination. So, yeah, I mean, if those four are fit and available and going to France at the end of the year, I think we're in pretty good stock. Come on, do you think they can get it, you know, um, any better? The Chiefs, I know they've got a few more players still to come back, but looking at their depth and the and the, the shape of the side coming finals time, do you think there's there's another level in them? Absolutely do, Kempi, and they'll know them, that themselves with some of the individual errors that we made in the weekend that once more put a lot of pressure on them. Uh, I think they'll work really hard and will need to work really hard. So much better in the second half, Kempi, about the exits. I mean, you remember back to that Blues game where they were, in my opinion, the better side, but just could not exit their half, therefore put themselves under so much uh, pressure. Same thing is 40 minutes of this game. Yeah, so I think they, they can do a lot better from uh, kick receipts. So when they're receiving the kickoff and kind of the exit strategy there, I mean, the impact of Anton Leonard Brown and Nankable is going to be a game change with the greatest respect to the two uh, centres they have at the moment. So that's going to be a, a game changer. And, and yeah, maybe that combination of bringing um, Gatlin on a little bit earlier, putting McKenzie to, to fullback or wing or wherever he can be playing in the backfield uh, will really test some of the defences. But, yeah, they, they will be able to improve, mate. But what they've done at the moment, Kempe, is put themselves in a position to have home advantage in the playoffs. Uh, and we know in all codes, in all sports, that is a huge advantage. Now, Carmo, looking for the rest of the season, uh, the probably the biggest or the most difficult game the Chiefs have got in regular season to come is the Brumby, Brumbies in Canberra. We saw the Brumbies in Wellington on Friday night against the Canes. To be honest, I thought they were a little bit disappointing, um, the Brumbies. What did you make of that? Yeah, well, I'll tell you what, that game in terms of the overall standings and you know, the buffer that they have, they don't have a major impact in terms of where... The playoffs are going to be played. It had a huge impact in terms of confidence and, and, and the ability for the Chiefs to really target that game. So I was going to kind of happy to lose a game, uh, which you don't want to lose home games, but target that Brumbies away because they may be the team 
potentially that you face. Um, at the end. But playing New Zealand aside, but um, Ricardo, um, congratulations to two players actually, Jordan Savia, again, Sam White, Oxford, uh, shows the passion that they have for our sport. Um, longevity will lead to that legacy, and, and both players will no doubt go down as, as two of our greats. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent, Carm. All right, good stuff, mate. Thanks for coming on today, mate. Go well. I uh, hope you're recovering well from the uh, the old "I am hope you drop" challenge. How's the body feeling? Uh, it's tired, mate, but um, not nothing like a good chief win to uh, raise the energy levels, Ricardo. So, uh, you know what I'm like watching the Chiefs play, mate. I was my stomach was a bit uh, <laughs> during the game. There was opportunities there that we we took, which is wonderful opportunities that we gave. The faders that kind of put my stomach in knots. The heart rate was through the roof, but in the end, uh, it was a pretty satisfying fist pump uh, when the boys got up. And boy, wasn't that a special try at the end or the second one when Mackenzie and, and Stevenson combined down that left-hand flank. Shit, I wish I was there. Fantastic, mate. Good stuff. Uh, I'm sure. I'm sure you've did a uh, did a bit of carb loading, a couple of Waikato drafts just to wash that victory down, mate. <laughs> Go well, Carmo. Have a great okay, day. boys. Have a great day, and thanks very much. Cheers. Uh, Ian Jones here with us, of course. We do have Super Rugby shows Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday nights right here on SENZ. You can catch In the Red tonight with Justin Marshall uh, from 7 o'clock, and then uh, we also have uh, the Pacific <laughs> Flair show on uh, Moana Pacific with uh, Peter Alatini from 7.30. And then if you're a Chiefs fan, well, you want to be tuning in uh, tomorrow night for that one with Carmo to go in. And every morning well. on breakfast, you get the Crusader show with Izzy and uh, Louie. <laughs> <when they're here. laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> this is SCNZ uh, Breakfast with Ricardo and Kemby. Thanks to Chemist Warehouse, the real house of fragrance. 17 away from 9 o'clock here on SENZ. Ricardo and Kempi for breakfast. You can call us 0800 150 811. That is the Ken Tire phone line. Or text us on double eight double three two. If you've got any questions for our next guest, you might want to ask him uh, where you get shorts that short. Uh, if he is the president of the New Zealand Warwick Kappa Fan Club, <laughs> and uh, do you not feel the cold? Justin Morgan, assistant coach of the, uh, of the Warriors, mate, saw you yesterday wandering around in the shortest shorts with the longest legs I have ever seen. <laughs> um, I do like Warwick Kappa, but uh, I'll leave the tight, tight shorts to him. So, yeah, mate, I've been here long enough to get used to this cold weather. So, yeah, I just got the shorts on yesterday. It's a, it's a good answer, Morgs. Hey, mate, defensively, uh, the Roosters, they stifled a lot of your your attack. Um, is that how you saw the game yesterday? Yeah, that, that's spot on, Kempi. I think, um, I think the difference between the two teams was how they defended better than us. They, you know, in those kind of conditions, you can put pressure on opposition teams because you can't move the ball as much because of the conditions. And, and they really put us under pressure with their line speed and, and the way they moved. They swarmed on us and, and took metres off us with their defensive line. So I think they defended better than us yesterday. Not that we were poor defensively, but we most probably didn't attack enough with our defence. Um, you know, and in, in games like yesterday, you've got to take those scrappy opportunities. They got a couple, which they took. We we had a couple that we didn't take. So, uh, 
yeah, it was uh, it was one of those days that we, we, we got some lessons from. You missed Toy Harris in the middle of the park, and that uh, that link that he has been um, very good at was Sean and and, of, and your five eights, whoever's playing out there. And also, I thought uh, Chance Nicol Clockstead and the way that he carries late in the tackle count to get that fast play the ball. Uh, is that how you saw it? And what about the kick pressure that they put on Sean too? They worked it that well. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it's you guys must have had our coach's box bugged because that's what that's what Webby said during the game. He said, look, you know, Toy was sitting with us and we said, mate, I think it would have been a, a different game if he was out there. Um, he would have been able to move the defence a little bit more and, and, and allow Sean a little bit more width. So I think that's been one of the real positives of the season is that Sean's been coming onto the ball, you know, rather than having to step up and be that first pass. And, and while Dylan, you know, um, you know can... can do that role, but obviously he was trying to play two roles yesterday. Obviously trying to be that link man, but also be that extra extra five eight or that extra halfback, and and that allowed the Roosters to put extra pressure on Sean, um, especially with his kicking game. We didn't really have another recognised you know kicker in the team. Um, and again, Chance, you know, and, and no no disrespect to, to you know to Dallin, I thought he did a really really good job for a player that hasn't played fullback for quite some time. He carried the ball very strongly, but. Chance has been one of our form players of the year and, you know, the back end of sets, especially in those conditions, if he could get some ruck speed, that would have taken a little bit of pressure off Sean and they mightn't have been able to put as much um, kick pressure on him. But again, it was, um, it's it's the players that you've got to put out, they've just got to get the job done. So um, there was lots of positives out of it. Um, great to see Dimitri out there for the first time, you know, a good local junior from, I think he's from Odahu Leopards and... He certainly didn't look out of place in, in the time that he was out there. Tom Ali got some bigger minutes again um, for a guy that's still learning his trade in the top grade. So lots of positives, but you know, we certainly walked away extremely disappointed that we, um, that we didn't put in a better show for ourselves. It was a great crowd there yesterday, Morgs, despite the weather. What what was uh, the uh, the game plan, knowing that you were going into such a wet weather match? What were you telling the boys to do? Yeah, I think it was important for for games like that to um, you know not to to lose sight of you still have to present shape. And I thought we sort of we didn't do that in the first half. We we got a little bit bunched at times. We got a little bit bunched in uh, in yardage. Um, so we, we most probably didn't execute that as well as we would have liked. Um, and the other area, I suppose, offensively that that we could have been a little bit better in was. Yeah, you know, our change of direction plays were good at times, but they're, they're better when you do them on the back of shape or, you know, you put something ahead of them. You know, there was times where we just were changing direction for the sake of changing direction. And, and to get maximum, I suppose, uh, bang for your buck when you change direction, you need to hold defenders up with what you do before um, before you do that. And I didn't think we really did that as, as well as we, we planned on doing that. That was That was the plan going into the game. Um, obviously, we were we weren't sure what the weather was going to be. If if the weather was going to be clear and sunny, uh, we wanted to move the ball a little bit more because we feel as though that that part of our game we're doing reasonably well. We've been scoring some really good tries on the fringes, but we had to sort of tighten things up a little bit. Up, but I think we tightened them up a little bit too much. We needed to find the balance of, you know, of moving the ball, um, but with a little bit more shape than what we did. So. Um, like, like I sort of said a few minutes ago, we, we learnt some lessons from yesterday. Um, we learnt some lessons from the Roosters on how to how to use your defence as an attack, uh, in attacking weapon in those conditions. And also, next time we play in those conditions, we need to play a little bit more football a little bit earlier in the tackle counts. Yeah, good call, Morgs. We've just got a text to come in here. Can you ask Justin what was Lussock's role off the bench yesterday? 
Um, yeah, obviously he didn't get on there, Freddie. Um, you know, we had an intention of putting him on with about 15, 20 minutes to go, uh, but we thought that Wade was travelling okay. Um, and because we sort of were missing Tor, who, who plays big minutes in the middle, normally plays 80 minutes, we had to use an extra interchange on our other middles. We started with Bunty, Adam and Marata in the middle, and they all had to come off and go back on. So there's naturally six changes straight away, and then we obviously had Dimitrik there as well. So um, it just made it a little bit harder to, to get Freddie on there. He was there as a little bit of an emergency, but our original plan was to get him on, but that, that, that obviously didn't pan out because um, Wade was travelling okay, and we thought it would be best to leave him out there and change our middles around to try and give us a little bit more traction with uh, some go-forward. Mate, on that, um, is there any chance of uh, Richie Barnett, uh, Barnett coming back this weekend? And, Mitch. Um, Mitch Barnett. And, of course, you've got uh, Metcalf as well. That uh, He said that he had another four weeks to go before you, you'd even contemplate him. But I guess that shape where you could move Dules Walker to the middle of the park um, to play that role that Tua has, if you get one of those players back, is, is that a likelihood this weekend? Unlikely that uh, I'd love Richie Barnett as well. We'll sorry, get both. Sorry, mate. Get, get, yeah, get both. <laughs> uh, no, but, mate. Seriously, I'd like. He, he still looks fit, doesn't he? Oh, he's very, he's very up fit. Like Mimorgs, he looks in good shape. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, look, uh, I don't think Barney will be back this week. Um, he's still got a few things he needs to sort of tick off. He needs to go and uh, see the specialist again around his neck, but he's making some good progress. Um, Look, Metcalf, I think, is only a week and a half away. So I think the plan for him is to be back for the Bulldogs week. Um, so you're right. We've had lots of discussions around that. We've had some discussions around, you know, do we do we move, um, you know, do we move walks back into the middle to play that sort of that link role, and then, you know, maybe you know maybe just Chance go into that role, or do we play somebody else in that five eight position? Um, we're, we're hopeful that Torhu might be pushing for a spot back this week. Um, I'd say to, to percentage-wise, he's most probably 60-40, 60-40 of playing. Um, so that's a positive. You know, he, he ran on the weekend on Saturday. Uh, the reports were really, really positive. But he'll need to sort of you know, tick a few things off early in the week. But um, it would be nice to have him back. But again, no doubt there'll be some discussion around um, around selection again this week because we certainly are a much better footy team when we've got a person playing that link role at the number 13 so um yeah so again we'll have to wait and see for a little bit later in the week but let's keep our fingers crossed that Torhu might uh, might make a recovery for this weekend yeah what was the uh, what was the niggle mate because we know that he had struggled with that MCL did he aggravate that or was it something else yeah it's still MCL but I think um, it's just most probably a little bit creaky rather than loose, you know. Um, and, you know, that that's a positive. I think structurally it's very, very sound. It's nice and solid. Um, so that's a good thing. So I think it would just be a bit of a pain issue for him. Um, so whereas when he had the medial last time, I think there was some, some lacks in the knee. So I think, you know, the, the, the medical team are quite positive about how solid it is. So it'll be just a, a matter of whether he can get through, um, you know, the running protocols for the front half of the week and then if he can handle the pain threshold if it's still a little bit sore. But he's made some really good progress um, in his first 
you know, four or five days of, of his recovery. Whereas last time when he had it, you know, it was most probably two weeks before he started to get some progress. So that's why we've got a really positive mindset that he might be back. Yeah, that'll be great news uh, for the club, mate. Uh, be absolutely massive. Hey, Morgs, thanks very much for coming on, mate. Busy week before you head away to Brizzy. Uh, what, when do you fly out? Out on Thursday. Um, so, yeah, looking forward to Magic Weekend. It's a great concept. Um, so, got the Panthers, um, who obviously, you know, they, they got beat on the weekend. I haven't watched that game back. But, um, yeah, really exciting. Um, you know, we love the concept of uh, of the Magic Round. So, head out Thursday. And then uh, and then we're going to stay in Australia for the week because we've got a short turnaround against the Bulldogs before we got the bye. So, um, hopefully, when we get back to New Zealand, we come back with four points, which would be handy. Yeah, be fantastic, mate. And uh, maybe a, a few more fit players as well would be fantastic. Morgs, travel well, my friend. Yep, no worries. I'll get some sun on these skinny legs and make sure those shorts aren't too short next time. And I'll, and I'll check Richie Barnett out and see if he can make a comeback. <laughs> Tell you what, if you... If Why don't I put you in there, Kempi? Get, get you in the stand-up. Why do you need, do you need you, someone you in the middle? <laughs> nah, mate, so uh, you can play like me. Pretend you're in the middle, get everyone else to do the work and just get into good ball and carry the footy. Right? Soft hands. Soft hands, Kempi. That's what they say about him. Good stuff, Morgs. Travel well, brother. Right on, boys. Catch Cheers. you later, bye. Uh, seven away from nine here on SENZ uh, Breakfast with Ricardo. And Kempi will catch up with Smithy next.